Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and I'm very happy to be with you again today. And please stay with us uh, because we are going to have a wonderful uh, study today. It's talking about when you are alone. And there are many people alone these days. Uh, please uh, open the Bibles with us and follow us as we are going to share with you some uh, beautiful uh, passages and uh, verses from the Bible. But I would like to just say welcome to my panel today and um, thank you, Brent. And I will start with you just uh, first. Now you are going to facilitate this program and thank you for uh, coming in with us. Nick, it's always a pleasure to be here and share God's word with our listeners. And Helen, thank you for joining us also. Thank you, Nick. I missed out last week. I wasn't on top, but I'm glad to be here today. Good to have you with us. Lija, thank you for joining us again. I'm very privileged to be here to study the Word of God. And with no further comments, I would like to just pass it to you, Brenton, and take us through, please. Let's just uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we know that the Godhead consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And down here on earth, Lord, our topic that we are going to discuss is the subject of loneliness. God saw that it was good that man should have a companion. And I pray, Lord, for your blessing as we study this very important topic together. May your Holy Spirit guide us in our thinking, in our reading of the word, in our um, articulation of perhaps times when we have been lonely. May we understand that Jesus has promised in his word, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we claim that promise on our behalf in Jesus' name. Amen. The name Tracy Crouch is probably not a name that is familiar to our listeners. Unless you follow the papers regularly, you would not be aware that in the United Kingdom last year at the beginning of 2018, Theresa May, Prime Minister of Great Britain, actually appointed Tracy to a new portfolio. She is known as the Minister for Loneliness. This is a unique appointment worldwide. Sweden and Canada, to name but two, and also Australia, are countries that are looking very closely at this appointment to see whether it's just a token appointment or whether it is actually something that will have some significant effect. Tracy knows what she's talking about. She said when she had her first child, she felt so alone afterwards. She's been there. She's been through uh, the, shall we say, the black void when loneliness seems to surround you and sometimes even engulf you. In our study, we are going to have a look at the topic of when alone, and we're going to have a look at di different aspects of it. We're going to have a look at companionship, unmarried life, when a marriage ends, death and loneliness, and being spiritually single. And I would be sure, Nick, and uh, the rest of our panel, that people here would be able to identify very strongly with some of these key issues. But let's start by having a look at what God had to say way back when man was created in, in the beginning. And we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, where we find at the end of creation week, incidentally, Helen, you were talking to me before the program, how many times did God say after he had created something that it was either good or very good? Nine times the Hebrew came through as when God said, in creation it is good it is good it is good and then finally it's very good mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden what happens we see in Genesis particularly that 
the problem uh, on earth, the first problem wasn't the sin. The first problem was loneliness. Mm. And I found that extremely interesting. I think we should clarify too, um, Brent, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here a bit with your thoughts, but, you know, we've entitled this Bible study as When Alone. Now, I think we need to clarify that a little bit because some people think being alone means that you're on your own. That's not necessarily true. You can not be alone and not yeah. be lonely, mm. but you can be in the middle of a very big crowd and, and feel very much mm. alone. Mm. So we're not just talking to people that live on their own. Mm. We're talking about people that have that loneliness. Mm. Lydia, I believe you had a comment that you wanted to share with us. Yes, very well can happen for somebody to have a big family, children, you know, and also being lonely. In other words, Lydia, you're saying that you can be in a big family yes, with a good husband and mm. children and mm. still be lonely. Yeah, but here interf- interferes the non-communication. Mm-hmm. If there's no communication between people, um, uh, loneliness interferes with. Mm. Thank you. All right, Helen, would you like to read uh, Genesis 2 and verse 18 for us? And let's have a look at God's perspective on what he had to say. I believe there's another verse a little bit further on, verse 20 also, that we need to share. Mm-hmm. And then summarise with verse 22. Thank you. So you want 18, 20 and 22? 22. I think we'll have a okay. look at those three, then we'll spend a little bit of time in discussion on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. happy to do that. Done. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Genesis two eighteen, and it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And verse 20 says, He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him and verse 22 says then the lord god made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man wonderful actually i like the next sorry i like the the next next part it's almost like you can hear adam saying it says at last the man exclaimed Mm. Mm. and i think that's just beautiful Yeah. yeah yeah would you like to read verse 23 for us Uh, Well, that was part of verse 23, the first part. And then it goes on to say, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. So she will be called woman because she was taken from man. Isn't it interesting that God could easily have made Eve from the dust of the ground as well? But he chose not to. And where did he take her from? From the rib. Which is where? Of the man. Mm. The side. Yes. He took her from the side of man close to his heart. Absolutely. I like, I like the last part of verse 18 where, where it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. It means an intimate companionship. Thank you, Lydia. That is very important. I want to share with our listeners what the Hebrew word for helper actually is. The Hebrew word for helper is Eza, spelled E-Z-E-R, but pronounced Aza. And it means this, it means to be strong, to be courageous, and it also means to be a support. And what this text tells us is this. I believe the text that Helen has read and that Lydia has commented on, it tells us that a woman, and notice that she is not called Eve. You'll find that she's not called Eve till after sin comes into the world, which we aren't 
dealing with the topic of. But what's happening here is that this other human being was to be his equal in every respect. Now, here's something to think about. Nick, you might have a comment on it after we've finished. Traditionally, if I was to ask the ladies uh, amongst our discussion group this evening, what is the, the traditional role for women in society down through the years? What has it been? Is it to be in the house? Mostly. Is it, is it to cook? I think so. Is it to look after the children? Yes. Okay. I think there's an old saying that well, said you first fall in love, you, you sink in his arms, but then when you're married, your arms are in the sink. <laughs> I think that that kind of sums up what a yeah. lot of a lot of people think is the role of women, and okay. you know their place is in the mm. kitchen, and they cook and they bring up children. Okay, that has changed a lot in this day and age. But that was originally what people yeah. thought. God obviously saw that it was necessary for man to have a companion that, that who was his equal in every respect, and I think we would agree that um, women bring something to family life and to a relationship that men don't have. And I'm very thankful, personally, that God created women as well as men because we look at situations from different perspectives, but we can bring it together into a perfect harmony when we see what's going on. Social isolation is very, very important. In fact, a recent study found that people who are socially isolated their um, longevity of life is reduced significantly to the extent that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, every day. And that's something I think for us to sit up and take notice. But Helen, I believe this is a comment that's very appropriate to what we're discussing on the subject of loneliness. It's the testimony of a man who felt extreme loneliness. Can you share it with us, please? Yes, I'd love to. Um, I just want to say that the sense of loneliness can come at any time, and sometimes when we're least expecting us. This quote was about an unmarried man. He said, The hardest day for me is Sunday. During the week, I am surrounded by people at work. On Sabbath, I see people at church. But on Sunday, I am all alone. Isn't that tragic? Yes, but I, I guess a lot of people can echo that as well. Mm. I've mm. heard people say that when they've lost a spouse, it's the evenings that they are the hardest, mm. you know, when, mm. when they've come home from work and it's an empty house. Can any of us think of a uh, quote from the Word of God where Jesus said that he would be with us at all times? Can anyone think of something? Though I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Mm. Okay. I will I'll never, never leave you, I'll never leave yes, thank you. Thank you. I will yes. never leave you or forsake you. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 13 verse 5, also Joshua chapter 1 verse 6, mm -hmm. where God was talking to Joshua after the death of Moses. I think in times when extreme loneliness takes over, this is where having the support and knowing that God is there for you and will never leave you can give you a solid base to move forward from. What do you think? Mm, I remember reading a statement from one of my favourite <coughs> authors, Alan White, and she said, we have a companion whether we choose him or not. Mm. So he is there all the time, and we have to trust him that his mm. word is sure. Mm. Moving on from uh, the role of companionship, um, the next aspect we wanted to look at in our study is unmarried life. Now, some of us on the panel are unmarried, and some of us are married and uh, we would have obviously different perspectives on this but I'd like to 
take us on a journey to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 32. And in those verses, Paul addresses an issue. Now, this is an important issue, and I would like to share just briefly an overview of what this issue is before we actually read the verses in question. Back in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, Paul talked about what happens when a person is baptised. He actually referred to when they are baptised, that when they rise from the baptismal waters, they actually start a new life, and it is compared to uh, Christ's resurrected body. Now, unfortunately, the Corinthians heard this, and they got, shall we say, the wrong end of the stick, as we would say in Australian parlance. Some of them believed that if their body was similar to Christ's glorified body after they were baptised, therefore they could live almost a promiscuous lifestyle. Some of them went to the opposite extreme, uh, to the stage that they were almost like monks. They they did not uh, fulfil marital obligations to one another because they believed that that was sinful and God would not have them to do this. What Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 7 is bringing a corrective and trying to say, hey guys, (laughs) some of you are leaning too far this way and too far that way. This is um, where it's actually uh, at. And he actually addresses this issue in chapter 7 and verse 25 to 32. Lydia, would you be able to read maybe down to verse 29 for us of 1 Corinthians 7? Thank you. Yes. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this Do you have a comment on that? I have a comment on that I would like to say that uh, if you marry you will have to be committed to the family to Mm -hmm. the wife, to the children and maybe a little less committed to the Lord but if you're not married as Paul says here if you are unmarried if you can stay unmarried, you'll serve serve the Lord more. You'll serve the Lord hundred percent. Mm. But if you are married and you have you can divide you have to divide the commitments, so the commitment maybe to the Lord wouldn't be hundred percent. I think this is what Paul says here. Okay, uh, that's an interesting comment. This well, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, Helen, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's interesting that God's first said it is not good for man to live alone. Mm-hmm. You know that he needs mm-hmm. a companion. But I also agree with what Lydia was just saying. There are um, there are certain examples in the Bible where some were actually told not to marry, and one of them I came to mind was Jeremiah, mm-hmm. and he was actually told not to marry. And he his not getting married was a symbolic of the situation. For the the um, children Between which were God at the time, and his people. yes, mm. and and the same. If you might remember Ezekiel's Ezekiel also, Lost his, wife, his wife, his mm. wife died silently. Mm. Uh, sorry, suddenly, and it was a hard lesson for Ezekiel too. He was told not to even mourn her. Correct. And again, God was using this. And there's another one, um, Prophet Hosea. 
Yes. I think it was also. Yeah, same thing. And that's a very interesting story. He, <coughs> he was, was actually told to told marry a prostitute. Yes. Yes, and not only that, mm. when she actually left the marital bed and went prostituting and, you know, um, he actually brought her back that's correct. under the guidance of God. Mm. And um, I tell you what, that's a tremendous faith in God, how God can bring his yeah. children together, but also how God can bring a marriage together. Yes. I was just going to mention that uh, as Paul was writing to the Corinthians, um, particularly in uh, that community in Corinthians, there were there were uh, lots of issues in uh, in the relationships, you know, in a marriage. And um, Paul could see that uh, the advancement of God's uh, work it's uh, not happen as should have be. Mm. And he's giving sure. some advice here. Now, what I understand is also that I don't see anywhere in the Bible where um, the Bible supports the thing that if you are married, then you need to give a second uh, place to God's work or something like that, you know. Mm. Actually not. Mm. You need to be all the time, uh, 100% to give your time and heart and everything mm. to God. But mm. if you are married, then you may be restricted to do that, which means if we are all here, that's why we do this uh, sort of Bible studies, because we are committed to share the good news, the gospel, mm -hmm. with the people. And, uh, I mean, the majority of here, we are married. And uh, there are restrictions when you are married. Not just because the, s the, other, the spouse or somebody is making mm -hmm. the restriction. Uh, it's happening. Yes. And Paul is yeah, advising that if it's possible not to be married, uh, it's a good thing because you can commit yourself 100% to the work of God. He does say that in verse 32. It says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. Can I uh, also give a, another side to this mm -hmm. particular aspect? I believe in a, in a relationship where God is first, both husband and wife put God first even before their own marriage. Um, that is something that we don't perhaps give enough attention to. Paul chose not to be married. Now, we need to remember that when Paul first, or as he was known then, Saul, when he became Paul, or known as Paul from then on, Paul would have been married. As a Pharisee, he would have been married. He could not have been a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin without being married. So he would have been married. What happened to his wife? We don't know. Did she divorce him because he became a Christian? Who knows? All I'm saying and all I'm uh, getting across is this. I believe that in a marriage where both partners love God supremely, they both put God first in their lives. I and, agree. And Absolutely. they can then, and they have the advantage of two heads and Helen was talking earlier on about a statement that came out of the book of Ecclesiastes where it says a three-strand cord is not easily broken. It talked about how two people lie down together. They can keep warm, but you can't do it by yourself. And uh, Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, uses several different illustrations to point this out. So whilst it can work, and certainly it is true from Paul's counsel that singly 
a person who is not married can devote themselves completely to the Lord. I don't believe that excludes married couples. Absolutely not. That. Absolutely. But I um, tend to uh, agree with what you just said, even if the Bible is not, uh, uh, you know, doesn't reveal to us that aspect. Mm. Yes. But uh, Paul probably he learned from his own experience that it can be very difficult uh, mm. to... Um, to carry the work which he was called yes. to, uh, <laughs> if he will, let's say, remarried, if uh, if the case was that uh, yes. he was married and maybe his wife left him because of the faith, we don't know. We, we don't know, but mm. it it's, it could be very possible. And yeah. he thought maybe, uh, look, to spare myself about many you know obstacles, yes, uh, will be better this way. But we don't know that. No, no. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Helen. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Can I just? I agree with yeah. what you you both have been saying. Let me just say that when the two people come closer to God they automatically come closer to each other. Yes. And when you mentioned about the three-stranded cord... Not being I, easily broken. Yeah, not being mm. easily broken. I'd like to say that that three-stranded cord in marriage is the husband, the wife, and God. Mm -hmm. And if God is placed first, I believe that that is going to be the binding part. That is a and tremendously is strong um, relationship. Yes, absolutely. That can, absolutely. in fact, not be broken. And it can be to God's mm. glory as yes. well. Yeah. I would like to say that in each of these examples that we commented now, marital sta status was not an issue. So, actually, God was in interested in the person's integrity sure. and obedience mm -hmm. and ability to say what God wanted him to say. So, we need to be sure that our life is not defined by our marital conditions. So many voices today will tell us that unless we are married, we are not complete. But Paul would respond, don't be like those people in this world. Instead, offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing to him. Thank you, Ligia. That's a good comment. I think really in summarising all of what we've discussed so far, what we would say is this, is ask God first to help you in your relationships as to whether you should remain single, whether you should be married, if you are already married, what should you be doing, Nick? You should be trying to make the relationship as strong as possible. Well, yes. If you're single and are not planning to get married, ask the Lord to give you opportunities that perhaps would never have come along had you been in a married relationship. And just one more thing, because in these days we live in, because of the responsibilities which a, a marriage, uh, yeah. you know, ask for, so many people choose not to marry and live in the facto or other sort of relationship. Yes. One of the interesting things about uh, life in 2019 is that statistics state that fewer people are marrying than used to marry. However, having said that, for the bulk of our population, people will marry in time or are already married. And in our next segment, we're looking at, unfortunately, a very common problem today, and that is divorce and separation and the, the anguish, the loneliness that this brings about. And some of us here possibly have experienced some of these things. But um, when Christ was approached on this particular issue, he made some interesting comments. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And Helen, I wonder if you could read some verses for us there from Matthew chapter 19, which I believe are very pertinent to the subject. When he was approached by some Pharisees and scribes with the intention, it should be stated, of trapping him, 
in his speech, they said, they asked him a question. They said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? They didn't just say divorce his wife, they said divorce his wife for any reason. Now, I need to explain that a little bit, Helen, before you read. Mm -hmm. The schools of thought in the uh, Jewish community were, there were three rabbis. One rabbi's name was Hillel. He was considered to be from the liberal school. He believed that even if a wife burnt her husband's tea, she could be divorced, which is what we would consider pretty trivial today. Rabbi Shammai believed that promiscuity on the part of the wife was grounds for a divorce, which may or may not include adultery. But Rabbi Akiva, he was the best of the lot. He said that you could divorce your wife for any reason particularly if you found another woman who was more attractive. Now, all of these rabbis had their input into this particular thing, but Christ here in Matthew chapter 19 takes us back to the origin of marriage and states very clearly in unequivocal terms what God's original plan was. Helen, can you share those with us, please? Yes, reading from Matthew 19, verse um, 8. Is that the one you want? Yes. Okay, it says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your heart, your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Wow. Is that, uh, isn't there any need to put it any clearer than that? When you stop and think today, we have marriage guidance counsellors and some of us have been involved with them or uh, know people who do, uh, shall we say, function in that area. We have all sorts of things to help people with problems today. But here, Jesus said, he took them straight back to the Garden of Eden. He said, Moses gave you this merely as a concession because of your hard hearts. He said, it wasn't that way from the beginning. From the beginning... Male and female, men and women, husband and wife, were to be together for life. And, of course, those of us who have been married, we remember we stood in front of the minister, most of us at one stage, and we promised to love, honour and cherish the other person until death us do part. Can I just add mm, here that it, this doesn't mean that just because someone has been, I shouldn't say just because, this doesn't mean that when someone has been, a spouse has been unfaithful, that automatically you divorce. That's it not what it means mean at that, all. No. no, God originally intended you to stay together. And if there's some way, and you can only do it through God's grace, let me tell you, and that you can actually forgive, reconcile, and restore your relationship Ultimately, in the end, if you can do that, it becomes a stronger relationship. Let me also say that when someone goes through a divorce, outside of death, one of the hardest things in a family is, is divorce. divorce. Yes. And it's very much akin to the feelings that you go through when someone dies in the fact that you go through a grieving process. And, and you do go through a grieving. You know, your whole situation has changed. Mm -hmm. The difference is when someone dies, there is that finality. However, for Christians, we have a blessed hope that the Lord is coming and will wake up, you know, those that have died in the Lord. Yes, yes. But the grief is still the same. You have lost something. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference, again, with the divorce is that your spouse that you've divorced from is still alive. And sometimes still attending the same yes, church. Yes, sometimes you? still attending mm -hmm. the same church or mm -hmm. causing a lot of heart. Yep. And, and you have to go through a lot of um, 
Well, counselling is very good, let me say. Um, sometimes it is good to go to a marriage counsellor together if you can, mm. but that doesn't always work. Mm. But I think there's a, a part for us to play also here that we need to be aware when people are going through, whether it be a death or a divorce, that they need to know that they have a support. Mm. Not because they want people to to um, just, you know, be all over them and, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. you know, making decisions for them. No, yeah. even just quietly sitting with them just to mm-hmm. know that someone is there and someone is understanding your grief mm. can make Thank a big you, difference. Thank you Helen, that's a very good comment. One of the things that I believe is a key to helping people who are going through divorce, whether it's the party that was, shall we say, the guilty party and the other one was the innocent party is sometimes the best possible thing that we can do is just listen. Absolutely. You will find that regardless of the pros and cons of who's right, who's wrong in the marriage, why is the marriage breaking up? You will find any number of people giving both parties advice. Can I say not to be judgmental either? Yes. Mm. They probably don't need advice. They've had advice from everyone, Mm. from family, from friends, from church members, from everybody. But what they sometimes appreciate most is just someone who will listen. Absolutely. Because they need to have the opportunity, shall we say, to unburden themselves. Yes. And they don't want someone to give them advice. Mm. They don't want judgment, value judgments mm. being made. They just want someone to listen. I just, I just wanted to say <clears throat> that having, having myself gone through divorce and mm-hmm. death um, and seeing the judgmental side of people, they take sides. And if there's one thing I've learned through the counselling area is that when someone comes to me and they want counselling, the first thing is to say, I will not take sides because no one knows the whole story except for God. Mm -hmm. And we must be careful not to, you know, isolate part of that family because of your own opinions Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. it. Lydia, there was a comment that says the church as a redemptive agency of Christ is to minister to its members. Could you read that statement for us, please? The church as a redemptive agency of Christ is to minister to its members in all of their needs and to nurture everyone so that all may grow into a mature Christian experience. This is particularly true when members face lifelong decisions such as marriage and uh, distressful experiences such as a divorce, but when a couple's marriage is in danger of breaking down, every effort should be made by the partners and those in the church or family who minister to them to bring about their reconciliation in harmony with divine principles for restoring wounded relationship. And I wanted to say also that Mm, there are so many resources that can be of assistance to members in the development of a strong Christian home that are available through the church or other church organizations. And this include programs of orientation for couples engaged to be married. So before Mm. marriage... I would ad- I would like to advise, and I w- I'm advising all the young people, go for a counselling. Talk to your pastor. Talk to a, a, a marriage counsellor. And, uh, you know, uh, learn the knowledge. What to do before marriage mm. is so important to do much, much more before marriage mm. and than, than after marriage. Good counsel. Uh, yeah. you, that's, that's very good counsel. Uh, one of the things I learned in a counselling course I did a few years ago is that in counselling with people, whether it's marriage or other issues, you don't tell them what to do. You give them options. 
because uh, you're in a situation where if you tell them what to do and it fails, then the responsibility and the blame comes back on you. Correct. What you do is you allow them to explore various options and decide which way they're going to go. Yeah. What, what I can say is, and it hurts me to say this, I wonder seriously as uh, someone who's had a bit to do with people whose relationships have broken up, whether time really does heal. Some of you may uh, question that, but um, sometimes I wonder whether time really does heal because I know of cases where time has not healed um, situations. You could uh, be trite and say, oh yes, but if they were surrendered to the Lord, that would all sort itself out. I don't know. Nick, time, you, you yeah, <laughs> time heals if you attend the wound but if you let it there just uh, wouldn't heal that's the thing you may go through some dysfunctional relationships and that can cause a lot of uh, problems but if you move on and uh, fix your eyes towards better things for example and in the situation we, we talk about you have to commit yourself to the Lord then time will heal you know what I mean? I, I see where you're coming from. You, you know yes. what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you don't put anything in place, time wouldn't heal. You'll remember even until the death, you know, that uh, how people treated you. Yeah. But if you put yourself into a better position, do something else which is wor worldwide to do, yes. then time will heal. Mm. Okay. That's an interesting comment, Nick. Um, let me put a hypothetical just for us to think about for a minute. A wife leaves her husband because he beats her up regularly. According to scripture, uh, she should remain with him. Now, he says he's a changed man, and I think many people could um, echo what I'm about to say. She goes back to him again, same thing happens again. She goes back to him again, the same thing happens again. Seriously. Should she keep going back to him and being treated the way that she's been treated before? I'm simply throwing it out there for people to think about because I think that without God changing both partners, it's not going to work. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. That, of course, <coughs> means that... No, I, I'm very strong on this one, Brendan. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I think you know some of my background. Um, I don't think that either party should get into the part of being abusers um, I think there's no no um, room for that in a marriage relationship at all, personally. And if they seek counselling and um, and it doesn't work, I, I believe that that woman should step out of that marriage. Mm, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that she has that right to remarry. No. It means that she is stepping away Unless from... Unless her former partner ultimately becomes unfaithful. That's, yes, that's correct. Mm. Um... I'm trying hard not to bring my own personal things into it, Nick, but I just I just want to say that I remember at one stage um, my husband and I went for counselling and we were recommended to go for a walk back on a jetty where we had our honeymoon and I said, I will not go unless he promises not to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, his answer was, well, I can't promise that. And I said, well, I can't go for a walk with you. We you can't know, go walking on that. the jetty. Yeah, and, and I think, yes, you've got to get to... I understand why women keep going back to their husbands, by the way. Until you've been in that situation, you will never understand it. I could never understand it before. But I do understand it now. And it's not... You know, I've had people say, you go back to your husband, well, you deserve everything you can get. 
That does not help. That That does not help a situation, you know. But I don't believe that a partner should have that power and that right over someone to to hit them or abuse them either. They they don't have. But what I believe, going back to that uh, text in the Bible where it says that uh, Jesus said that from the beginning was not uh, so so that a man should leave uh, his wife. But because of your hardness or whatever it says in the Bible, that's why it happened. What that means... People, they choose to give a letter of divorce to their wives because uh, uh, they want it, not because of any other, mm. you know, again, or lover of themselves. In other words, the, the person actually making the decision is not God, it's you. Mm. I've decided I don't want my wife anymore, so we're moving on from here. Have I sought God's advice? Have I spoken to him about it? No, I haven't. And what Moses unfortunately um, had to do, I believe, in the relationship in the Old Testament, Moses was trying to actually protect a woman's uh, rights because in their culture, a woman, really, what her husband provided was everything. Once that relationship broke up, she was cut cut adrift. So what Moses was trying to do in the Old Testament, I believe, is try and protect the wife as much as possible. Therefore, it was a concession, not a command. Mm. It wasn't God's command. Jesus always went back to what was it like at the beginning. God made the male and female. They were to be one for life. Lydia, I think you had a Um, comment before we move on. I think God doesn't look with pleasure to a family that lives in a dysfunctional problems and neglect and so on or uh, you know so in these cases I think that that marriage is already broken in Jesus because God is love Mm. if we cannot if we don't have love in our hearts and express it in our family Mm. that is not a family of God that is already a dysfunctional so the evil spirits are there the evil angels are working there Mm. so I think in these situations God will approve a divorce Mm. if Mm. he can see that there there wouldn't be um, reconciliations Mm. methods that's an an interesting comment Ligia Um, unfortunately due to time we can't explore that a bit further correct yeah but I would certainly be interested to hear the panel on on this further Mm. Um, can I just add one more thing please Um, things are changed in this day and age and if any of our listeners today are in an abusive relationship please um, rest assured that there are means in this day and age that there are places and there is support Mm -hmm. and I would urge you not to stay in an abusive Abusive relationship relationship. where someone is being Mm -hmm. abused to the point of physically, emotionally sexually, whatever being Mm -hmm. abused, there is support you are not alone and um, you know if anybody is listening and, and they just don't know where to turn Please just give us a contact, give us a call, and I'm sure that some of us yeah. can step in and help you. Maybe, Nick, you can give and, some and, details. And the greatest uh, help, Helen, it's true when you mention about the, you know, all the counseling and so on, but if we turn to God mm-hmm. with all our heart and ask God mm-hmm. to intervene and to fix 
that relationship. God mm. is willing to do that. And who can do better than God? Absolutely. Mm. Who can Absolutely. do better than God? Mm. But the problem is that we don't want to have that relationship. We rely too much on humanly resources. Yes. And even though there are available there, which is a good tool, you know, it's almost like you get sick and before you start to get yourself together, you know, you'll take a couple of yes. uh, uh, tablets or whatever to, to get you floating, you know, yes. and that's what I, I will suggest. Unfortunately, these days, people rely so much on counseling mm. and the rate of divorce is so high yeah, with all that availability. But what I'm trying to say is turn to God, mm. talk to God, and if God wants you to see a counselor, You'll do that. Now, Nick, I'm that. listening to what you're saying, and I'm sure the listeners are as well. However, when you are in that situation, and I agree with you totally, my faith in God has grown exponentially, absolutely, since I've been on my own. But let me tell you, when a woman is in that, or a man is in that situation at that point, the first thing they need to do is to, to get out. Yes. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to be separated forever. Just get out of the current situation and, and yes, turn to God. Absolutely. But you have to make that step to get out. But that, I, did, yes. I didn't disagree yes. with that. And I, I'm just yeah. saying that sure. uh, you need to do something. But what I'm trying to say is people are is seeking too much mm -hmm. of human mm -hmm. advice. Mm -hmm. What uh, I, in, in summarising this, I'd just like to share with our listeners that uh, recently I've had the experience of meeting a young lady who has four children and uh, she has left an abusive relationship where her partner tried to kill her. And um, I had a long discussion with her only a couple of weeks ago where she just sat and she sobbed on and off for about an hour as she told me a little bit of her story. Now, I'm sure this woman, and I'm not going to name her or anything like that, but I'm sure this woman's case would be multiplied thousands of times. Um, and I said to her at the time, I said, look, I'm not giving you advice, but in my opinion, you did the right thing by getting out of the relationship. You don't have to put up with being physically and emotionally abused. And let's face it, folks, Sometimes in a, in a marriage situation, it's not physical abuse. It's not sexual abuse. Sometimes it's emotional and mental abuse, which is actually worse. It grinds the person down till they become a nobody. And I think that it's very important, to, as you said, Nick, to say, Lord, I'm in trouble. Please help me. Now, Jesus has promised, we read the statement earlier on, I will never leave you or forsake you. That applies to our listeners just as much as those of us who are sharing on air. And the reason I, uh, I mentioned that, uh, Brenton and the panel, mm. is because many people who go through a broken relationship and they will get out of that relationship, they will end up in another relationship even worse than the, the, the yes, previous one. That's true, uh, what I'm trying to say, we are here to not to advise, because I don't like to really to give advice, but to call people to consider to access the most important tool in our hands, God's help. We encourage people to seek His help. To That's see God's help. Because I believe in this world, who can yeah. fix the sure. mess of this world yeah. more than God? Mm. That but is so true, yeah. and, and only God can allow forgiveness yeah. in your heart as well. There are two other I aspects that I uh, want to look at before we conclude um, our study. 
death and loneliness is another issue that comes up. Now, most people would say, Helen, you made a comment earlier on, and uh, when I was doing a stress course a number of years ago, um, at the top of the list at a scale of 100, there were two issues, death and divorce. They ranked equally of things that cause stress in people's lives. Now, the death of a spouse, the death of a child, the death of a father or mother, I guess um, these are issues that all of us have had to deal with. Um, what does the Bible say that, that can help us in these situations? Let's have a look at Psalm 147, verse 3. It's only a little text, and we could almost quote it by heart, but I think it's worth reading. Lydia, could you read it for us, please? Psalm 147, verse 3. I could choose any number of texts, but whenever I read this, I say this is a really good text. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Is that good news or not? Yes. It doesn't say he tends to them. What mm. does it say? He, he heals. He heals. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. It's talking about our God and his love for us. And again, that's, uh, it's, you know, confirm that what we were just talking about earlier, you know. Uh, of course, uh, we need to access all the things available. Yes. But to really fix a problem, we need to get ourselves right with God. We do, Nick, and that's a good point. One of the things about death that uh, the surviving partner, let's use the example perhaps of a husband and wife. Uh, the wife loses her husband or the husband loses his wife. When does it often hit you worst? When, does it, when do you really feel the loneliness? Someone mentioned it earlier on. When you come you... home to an empty house. Exactly. You turn the key in the door, you open the door, you walk in. Maybe there's a dog or a cat that comes to greet you. Maybe. <laughs> For some people there isn't even that. There's just silence. Nothing. You are so right, um, Benton. I often say to people when they know friends have lost a loved one, um, the time that they will really need you is after the funeral. And for me, that's when I felt it. When all the family went home, the funeral was over, they all said, well, we've got to go back to our lifestyle. And I remember standing in the lounge room thinking, but I can't go back to my lifestyle. You know, um, I nursed my husband till he died, and I thought... I, I don't have a lifestyle anymore. And that was at that point when I suddenly felt really alone. Yes. 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 There was no one. Yes. And I couldn't relate to anybody because mm. they all went back to their lifestyle. Yeah, good yes. point. As Christians, um, Paul gives us some counsel on this. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 5. Helen, I'd like you to read that one for us, please. It's really the last part of the verse that's particularly important, but um, the whole of the verse will do. And let's just have a look at what Paul says here. Romans 12, verse, verse five, 5. says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Okay. I like that. That, that is I very really good. like that. We all belong to we each other. We all belong to each You're other. You're stuck with me, guys. <laughs> we all belong to each other. And in another place he says we are to mourn with those who mourn yes. and weep with those who yes. weep mm -hmm. now I remember reading a story once about uh, a man by the name of Joe Bailey Joe Bailey was a, a theologian amongst other things and he lost a son, he lost three of his sons to death and he said after the third boy died, I think at the age of 18 he was sitting he was shell shocked basically 
and he said a friend of his came in and sat down he sat there for a half an hour and never said a thing and he said he he wept a little bit and then he got up and left he said that was of far more benefit to me than any number of people coming in and putting their arms around me and saying we're so sorry for you important as that may be and I think here we, we have examples that as Christians we are to be more than empathise with people. Empathy is not really enough. We, we are to have this compassion that Jesus had for people that we've talked about in previous discussions on air. We are to have this compassion where we try and put ourselves in the, in the situation of the person and sometimes they don't need to hear anything from us. They just need to know we're there. And that they can call us. And that's why Brenton living in a society mm. like ours today, a very individualistic oriented society. Yes, it's true, very yeah. hard to experience that uh, yeah. relationship, community, strong relationship. Because I know coming from a background where the community was, uh, you know, very strong. I mean, the whole village, the whole town, you know, a small uh, town. Uh, they will feel with you. They will come, as you just said, Brenton, if you have going through a situation, a difficult, not only that, but only other things, they will come just to be there, you know, and hang around. Mm. And uh, because you'll know it's part of the community. Yes. But yeah. the enemy got into, into our uh, relationships yeah. just by uh, saying, you know what? Everyone has his own business. Don't stick your nose into other people's business. Uh, yeah, we need to be very careful because when we need to offer some support, we need to step a little bit further than yeah. just to excuse ourselves. That's 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 a good, good point, Dick. Um, the last group that we're going to deal with in our study is uh, the spiritually single. Now, that's a word that probably many of us have not come across terribly often. We know what the word single means. This is talking about spiritually single. Nick, how would you describe a person who's spiritually single? I think we just touched uh, up a little bit earlier that uh, when in a relationship, in a, in a marriage, uh, somebody will have a different relationship with God or beliefs, mm. you know, mm. and others will, will not uh, appreciate that relationship. Now that person, even though they may, Lija mentioned a bit earlier that you may have a big family, you may have lots of, you know, children and so on, but you can still feel spiritually single if you don't have the support or the understanding of the other parties. Yeah. So it means purely that you're married with an uh, unchristian person. So your views and your goals are totally different. So this, mm. it means spiritually you are single. Because that pa the partner doesn't think the way you think, doesn't have the plans that you have, doesn't have the desires that you have. Mm -hmm. So spiritually, you are single, effectively. Okay, it's thank true. you. Uh, Helen, did you have a comment on that? How do you how do you view this topic of being spiritually single? What what effect can it have upon the person who is trying to be faithful to the Lord when the other partner is either an unbeliever? or maybe treats the um, spiritual relationship of the marriage as fairly trivial? Again, I can only talk from an experienced background on that one, and one of them I, I recall very much was um, being married to a man who was very spiritual um, when we got married, and um, we both were working in a church, uh, in a mission field, 
and um, it was sad that we got so immersed in what we were doing that we weren't working on our own relationship and um, sadly it um, fell over what got me most was when um, when I had to go to church on my own yes and I can remember the first time I did and did I took lonely? my son. I felt extremely lonely, extremely mm. lonely, because I'd gone through this partner that we used to pray together and work together, you know, in, in God's work, and then suddenly it was not there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was a it was a real grief time for yeah. me, yeah. and another I can remember another relationship where I would want to study the Bible, but this person would not even have the Bible there and would try and take it out of my hands and what have you. I just praise the Lord that He brought me through yes. strongly yes. Um, and enabled me to come through all this spiritually. Yeah. And mm. He has He has um, He's restored my faith, yeah. my faith in Him. Yeah. And um, I know he's never left me, even mm. through all these events. But yes, it is a very lonely time, especially if you've been used to it. But it's equally lonely if you suddenly come into the truth of the Bible and your partner doesn't. Yes. And you do walk a separate path. And that's really sad. Yeah. But also, very, very quickly, uh, <coughs> yes. also can be situations like when a person, you know, one of the spouse uh, found God. You know, they may not be believers before, you know, and they Mm -hmm. come across to give their heart to God and follow Mm -hmm. God, but that Mm -hmm. partner wouldn't uh, Mm. uh, follow. Mm. And then they become spiritually single. Yes. It does happen. And I would like to go back to 1 Corinthians 7 in the time that we have remaining and have a looking at verse 12 down to verse 16. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 16. Helen, I might get you to read that one if you don't mind. Okay, 7 verses 12 to Mm. which? Paul does give some counsel on this matter, what Nick and the Mm -hmm. rest of us have just been sharing. What does Paul say? Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 16 says, Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord, if a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Do you think that's good counsel? Absolutely. I think it's good counsel, but I think we also need to come back to the first of, to a counsel before that, before mm. even getting married. Remember, this is we Paul's are, opinion. Yes. This is not from the Lord. He yeah. actually states it's his opinion. We are counseled not to be unequally yoked. Yes. However, if you do come into the marriage mm. relationship and you then become a Christian believer but your spouse doesn't, that is good counsel from Paul. Yes, that's that's yes. a very good thought. I can remember uh, counselling someone in um, a church that I'm part of, and uh, I warned her uh, when I met her uh, future fiancé, she's told me she was engaged to be married, and I said, he does not share your spiritual values. And I said, I would urge you, above all things, to make this a matter of prayer to ask the Lord to guide you because I said I can only see heartache ahead for you now I saw her again some 
12, 18 months later. I said, how's so-and-so going? Oh, she said, we split up a long time ago. She said, I got sick of being ignored. I said, do you remember the discussion that we had that day at church? She said, yes. So, how can we support spiritually single people in closing? How can we do it? Are there any ideas that we have as a panel that can help support those who are spiritually single? We have to have a keen eye and uh, observe people that are lonely around us. And, uh, you know, we have to decide, to, you know, to talk to the people and uh, uh, having a, a, an open ear for them. And um, if they are willing to, to, to talk to us and uh, to guide them in, in, in a way that uh, the Lord God is the only one goal in our lives and if sure. we turn if we turn to God yeah. uh, in these situations mm. uh, God is opening a door for everybody mm. and God is the comforter God is the, com the companion mm. he's the fellowship God is yeah. everything God is love mm -hmm. so we have to um, help people around us young and old it doesn't matter mm. because we uh, we can see people uh, you know around us even mm. elderly people are, are lonely sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. Helen, do you have any closing comments that you could share with us? Just yes, just yes, just briefly. I think number one, we need to be inclusive. Yes. Don't um, separate people because they've because of their marital yes, status. Yes, marital or lack state. Of it. And this mm. is what happens often when you've got a married couple and they split up. Suddenly, one is left out in the cold. Um, and, and, it's and your relationships change. Yes, it, it does the change. So we need that to were strong still when be, you were married. Sometimes yes. you have have at least half of those who were friends mm. are no longer friends that's because right. they may be taking the side of the other party. And that's where I come to yeah. also. Don't mm. be judgmental. Be yeah. non-judgmental. Sure. Be friendly. Be kind. Be considerate. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and um, yes, and I agree totally that you can call on God. You can trust God. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, true. Nick, did you have some final words for us? For this one, I will uh, love to say, Brenton, but I think... Uh, we haven't got time left to to come to too many comments. One thing which I would like to point out is that uh, even though we're facing loneliness these days more than maybe ever, um, we still have uh, a promise that God will never uh, leave us, never forsake us. And let's take that one as a, a, That's a good, one. good um, comforter and um, give him all the glory for uh, everything what he does for us. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. Helen, would you like to close with prayer for us? Please? Yes, I can. Thank you. Okay, loving Heavenly Father, thank you that we've been able to have this discussion today. Thank you that we've been able to share um, with our listeners the good news from the Bible. And Father, thank you that one day we know that you're coming in the clouds of heaven and that we won't have any more of this death or divorce or loneliness and um, aloneness that will be gone forever. We look forward to that day. Please bless all the listeners and the panel here, Father, and may what we do and say only bring glory and honour to you. I pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, everyone, uh, and thank you to our uh, listeners. May God bless you. And don't forget... God can hear your cry. Always when you have a problem, turn to Him and He will attend your needs.